Yes, you, you lucky sausage. You found the Talk Marketing Show, where the League of Marvelous Marketeers give up everything you need to be more successful in your business. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, afternoon mr castle hi there how you doing martin i am really well thank you how are you very well indeed good to see you again Fantastic. it's good to see you we've just been covering how long it's been since we actually saw each other it's been a long time it has been. it has been a long time you're right it has been a long time so jeremy thank you so much for agreeing to spend this time with me um I know you from, well, I think the last time we worked together was like 2008, um, just before you published, was it your first book, Brilliant Selling? Yes, that's um, right. You've been giving me the headline version of what's been going on since then. So at that time, you were running a sales training company, publishing books, all those kinds of things. Um, and I understand since then, you're focused much more on presentation now. So that's going to be the focus of what we talk about today. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for agreeing to spend this time with me. Looking forward to it. Fantastic. Okay, good. So like you know, there are only four questions. So we're going to be focused on presentation today. So what I'm interested to know from you is um, how you're qualified to talk to us about this, who it is that you work with, how you win your customers, how you deliver customer uh, value for your customers, how you feel about kind of the whole idea of presenting and your recommendations um, for people who are investing in kind of their presentation skills in the current environment and the way presentations are being delivered. Um, but that's going to keep us busy probably for the next hour, hour and 15 minutes. How do you feel about that? Sounds good. Always, always happy to talk about both myself and presenting, Martin. <laughs> okay, super cool. So the first question is then, how are you qualified to talk to us about presenting? Yes. Well, the simple answer to that, I suppose, is that I'm doing it all the time. And I have done for the best part of 23 years, I think, as a coach, consultant and trainer. So I'm doing it on a regular basis. It's my micro niche. So I'm focusing and specializing in it. So I'm creating content around it. Uh, for example, the Leader's Guide to Presenting, which we talked about just a second, which came out in 2018. That was Business Book of the Year in in the uk so that's got a lot of leverage so i'm qualified to talk about it because i'm doing it a lot i teach others how to do it i coach leaders about how to present effectively and it sort of semi-consumes my life so i'm looking at you know how the best presenters present how they communicate information effectively and i'm sharing a lot of stuff on linkedin and like you youtube and other you know content uh, platforms so that I can spread the word. So that's probably answer to your first question about how I'm qualified. Okay, what, fantastic. Your, your second question, who, who am I working with? Whoa, 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 whoa. We need to go slower no, than that. Okay. Or else we're going to be done in about four and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the second, another second question. So tell me, how did you, because when we did a little bit of work for you, I think back in 2008, 2009, just before the launch of the books. So you can tell us about the books. What was that? It was a sales training consultancy that you were running. What was that called? Yeah, that was called RTP, Release the Potential. Yes. Okay, Release the Potential. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, obviously it's been some time since we communicated. And uh, so a, a variety of things have happened since then. I've morphed, if you like, from a generalist trainer and coach into focusing on three core areas, really presenting, influencing and selling. So it's about 50 percent on presenting, 25 percent on influencing and 25 percent on selling. Uh, and, and so it's I set up Jeremy Castle Coaching in 2018 and our micro niche is C-suite individuals who want to deliver exceptional high stakes presentations. But because I suppose of the heritage of the work I've done through the Moller Group, which is based out of Cambridge University, through RTP and my own personal background, I get involved with other projects. So, for example, I'm working with a large French company at the moment, helping to develop their sales force of just under 400 and their sales leaders. You know, so I'm getting involved with quite some big meaty projects. But my bread and butter is working with, you know, with senior people in businesses who I who either want to get better at presenting internally or externally, so things like virtual town halls, pitches, um, you know, things that are high stakes. So that's that's how I've morphed. And you're right about the books. We you know we ended up Tom and I, Tom Bird and I ended up writing four books, and I've got a couple of books in the pipeline as well for the in the next two or three years. But the latest one, the Leader's Guide to Presenting, is uh, gives me a platform, if you like, to be able to talk about this stuff and gives me the credibility to be able to work with these senior individuals in business. Fantastic. Okay. So you were just telling me how you wanted to be an actor until you were age 21. And that interests me because this is a recurring theme in these conversations. Like I've spoken to people who were DJs for the longest time and then stopped becoming DJs and went to a career in marketing. I know people who are comedians. I know people, it seems like everyone in sales and marketing is a want to be entertainer on, on on some level and it seems to me that they should all just then be presenters <laughs> you know so like you've gone it seems to me to the logical end of that of that journey does that make sense yeah well, I mean, what do you I, think yeah well i mean you're right i mean so up until 21 end of last year at university i want to be an actor and i thought Quite sensibly, I've, ne- I've never had any regrets. I, I, I wasn't good enough and I wouldn't probably be able to make it. So I abandoned that. Um, and, and actually, I went into teaching for a few years, uh, which, of course, there, and there's a performance element to teaching as well. So it's an interesting point that you're raising about that. I mean, you know, very few people go into sales and marketing as a direct result of what they do in their you know, formative years. I mean, I certainly had no plans of going into sales and marketing when I was at university. So most but you know you've heard of the idea of the accidental salesman and you know it, it's it's one of those things that it's not often a life choice is it? it happens for a variety of different reasons and i think you know if you're selling uh in the same way as you talked about this uh, djing and teaching and all this sort of thing there is a performance element to it you can't get away from that so people who believe that they need to rely for example on the slides or the content miss the point you know if you if i wanted to send you 
some information. I could just send it to you via, you know, via an email or other some other communication uh, platform quite easily, and I can communicate information. But the thing that the the, the presenter is doing is obviously bringing in the, the emotions, the stories, the the personality, and that's critical in presenting. So you you whether you like it or not, you have to be able to to perform well as a, as a as a as a presenter. I remember when I was what came comes to mind as I'm thinking about as I'm talking about this now. What comes to mind, Martin, is when I was learning to become a, an NLP trainer, which was in nine, 2005. The guy who uh, who took it, a chap called Tad James, quite a controversial guy actually, he was over in the states in LA, and he and one of the things he said was. You cannot have you cannot have a bad day if you're a trainer. You know you can't you cannot have a bad day. And what he meant by that was, you've got to always perform because when you're presenting or training or whatever it is, if you, is everything okay? Yeah, it's all good. They can't see me when you're speaking, so I might okay. duck around a bit. I'm trying to sort cool. my technology out a little bit, but I'm okay. good. You're good. Yeah. So, so you so if you're presenting training whatever it is a bit like a dj you can't have a bad day you've got to perform like an actor on stage you, you know if you have a bad day on stage and the director comes in you might get fired so it's the same with with a, with being a trainer so i think there is a performance element to it there's no question about that and you've got to you know you've got to get up for it you've got to be in a certain resourceful state to be able to present really effectively so i think that's so it's interesting that a lot of your a lot of the people you've had on uh, on talk marketing have been have some sort of link to performing it's really interesting and i think the um the especially interesting thing is the teaching thing because when i was running effective marketing i used to get involved with um i can't remember what it was called but it was a charity where business people would go into schools and um it was amazing i went to port slade community college and I did it in the end like five or six times. And it's the five or six hardest day's work I've ever done in my life. Yes, because imagine. essentially, if you are if you are like if you're having an off day, if you are not engaging and interesting and entertaining those kids for that seven hour day, you're dead. They're gonna eat you alive. It's like the hardest audience you will ever face in your life. And so, and so I think teaching is a great platform for presenting a great platform because you just do it six hours a day so if you believe what malcolm gladwell tells us that you have to do something for ten thousand hours four years of teaching will get you there do you know what i mean it absolutely will in front of the harshest audiences on the planet so that's well, exactly. interesting so well, how much of yes well, what i was going to say was you think about you think about back about going back to school and you know everyone watching this whatever they're doing in business right now Whatever their role is, will have been at school at some point in, in in the work in their in their their various different countries. And I don't know about you, but I could name on the fingers of one hand how many decent teachers I had. You know, and the reality is that it may be different now, but a lot of teachers, like, there won't be that many teachers watching this, I suspect, uh, are not brilliant. They're, they're subject matter experts. But they're not brilliant at the positioning of it, the telling of the stories, the performance bit, the getting into a resourceful state and really making it highly engaging for the audience, which in this case is school kids. 
So I think, you know, I wouldn't position myself as, as an exceptional teacher back then because I just left university, did it for a few years and then left. So, but it definitely took, uh, uh, you know, definitely put me in a, in a good position to be able to do what I did after that, which is be a salesman at L'Oreal, a sales manager, you know, a head of training at L'Oreal and Pepsi, and, and then doing what I do now. You know, uh, it definitely, definitely put, it definitely, you know, I don't regret those years at all. And you're right, there is definitely a performance element to it. And there's also an engagement element. You've got to engage kids. And that's, you know, you've got to sell the why of why history, chemistry, physics, maths, or whatever is interesting to them. I've got three kids, 14 to 19. They're still in the education system. And they still complain to me about boring lessons that they've had to put up with, either virtually or in person. So I don't think things have changed that much. No. But and they've got all the technology now as well, haven't they? I suppose it's interesting. So how much of sales and marketing do you think is performative? Like how much of it is just a performance? Well, nowadays, I mean the, the immediate thing that comes to mind is nowadays you've got to be authentic, haven't you? You know, trust-based vulnerability if you believe the Lencioni stuff, the teamwork and things really important. You've got to be yourself. So you've got to marry the performance element element of it, which is being up for it. If you're if you're doing sales and marketing, and I'm talking about sales here, really more than marketing probably. But if you're in a position where you're in front of clients, prospective clients, and you're trying to sell yourself, it's a combination of probably being fairly high energy and performing well, so that you come across effectively, uh, as well as all the other stuff, which is you've got to know your you've got to, you know your um, product knowledge. You've also got to ensure that you are authentic because people buy people buy connection now. You know, in, in more than any, more than at any other other time, I think, especially because what's happening with the pandemic and so forth. You know, business is personal, so you've got to connect with people, and that connection is really critical. So you can't just perform without connecting. And actually, performance done really well is about engaging with your audience. So I think it's a combination of of, of a number of different factors. Good. Right. So you're saying you've got to be authentic. Yes. So two things come up for me then when you say that is firstly, if I'm under pressure to be authentic, can I be authentic? And secondly, what if I'm just a dick? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Then I can't be myself. <laughs> I have to be. Do you know what I mean? It's like I know that, that everyone says this. You have to be authentic. You have to have connection. You have to be yourself. You have to all these things. But quite often I see presenters aren't that. You know, they well, they agree. Yeah, and I think it's so, – so, so in the last, whatever it is, 16, 17 months, since my business sort of went like that because of obviously the, the, the fact that all my face-to-face -face stuff was cancelled, I've, I've got lot, I've had lots of uh, clients who've come to me and said, here's the time to get good at presenting now. I want to rid myself of the demons and imposter syndrome and all that sort of stuff. But what at least three of, three of them have said to me is, look, Jeremy, happy to work with you. I'll hire you as my coach, my presentation and communication coach. But don't, for God's sake, turn me into some sort of perfect professional. You know, that's what they, three people have said that to me. In other words, the sort of recognition, you know, the recognition that they see that there is some sort of sense of sometimes presenters being too smooth, too perfect, too professional. And actually, that's not what people want. 
people want connection with the with the with the person. So, you know, you really have got to, so you have got to be genuine, I think. And and probably when you're under pressure, be even more genuine. You know, be be open and honest and share stuff that you might not normally have shared. I think that's one of the shifts that's happened in the last few years, personally, and has been accelerated by the pandemic. This requirement just to be yourself. If people don't like you, fair, fair enough. You know, so if you're in a sales and marketing role, they don't like you, they'll move on, and you'll find out pr pretty quickly. But with most, if you whatever you're selling, whether you're self-employed, running a small business, running a tech company, whether you're a big corporate or uh, you know running for a, uh, working for a medium-sized business, you know. With, with, with whatever role you're in, I think that nowadays the connection bit is really critical because if you think about it, everyone, tons of people have got our subject matter experts. You know, there's, there's presenting. My God, there's millions of companies, training companies offering presentation skills. So in my sphere, it's not a really about. It's not necessarily about subject matter expertise, although I've written a book about it. It's more about does that c-suite individual who's likely to hire me on my on the coaching side of my business does he connect with me does he like me so if i'm prepared to share stuff that allows him to think oh this guy's more than just some sort of professional um and also share vulnerability stuff then there's probably going to be a better great a greater connection and i mean you're an expert in in marketing martin so you'll know about this and i know you wrote a you know you wrote a lot of good stuff and you've still got a, a youtube video i think up on linkedin in the last 12 15 16 months since march last year i've really focused on linkedin as, as, a, as a as a way of as my marketing basic marketing platform and i can pretty much guarantee you my top 10 of my top 10 posts in the last 15 months eight of them have been um connection uh, uh posts about my wedding because i got married for the first time in january this year my mother's 80th birthday and there, you know, my well, I got I, I scored a hundred in a cricket match, which is not bad at some for someone age fifty-six. You know, various different things about my personal life or about connecting with my audience. Those are the ones who attract. Those are the, those are the posts that attracted the most um, likes, comments, etc. So I think that's a critical element. You know, subject matter expertise is almost a tick nowadays. Yeah, okay, you've written a book, fair enough. Uh, served served tons of other people, but. You know, do I fancy working with this person? Do I fancy sharing issues that come up as a leader? You know, which is what you're going to do, even if you're, if you, even if you position yourself as a communication presentation coach, there's still going to be other stuff you're going to work with people on. So, I think that being real thing is critical. And the the second part of your question, well, what happens if you're a dick? <laughs> I like that. I like that question. You'll be found out, basically. So, so that's the simple answer to that. I think you'll be found out, and you won't get clients, or you won't keep them. So you'll right. be found out. That you know that that's my view, and that's the same with. If you think about it, that's the same with any, especially sales and marketing. I mean, if I look back on my first, I, I was a salesman for L'Oreal for three years, and there's no question at all. I behaved like a dick for some of those times. You know, absolutely no question at all. So from tw twenty five to twenty eight, I got into sales from teaching and. You know, I didn't know anything about sales, just managed to blag my way into it effectively. But for example, I remember selling, um, I worked for L'Oreal, biggest beauty and cosmetics company in the world, and, and I was selling into a hairdressing salon. And I went into um, a particular salon, Sue's Salon in Abergavenny, because I had uh, Wales as my, <laughs> was one of my territories. And it was close to the end of a second quarter, 
and I sold her far too much um, perm, permanent wave. And I was doing it for purely selfish reasons. I wanted to hit my target so I could make money. And because, because I was able to use certain linguistic techniques and closing techniques that you probably couldn't get away with now, she bought far too much. Now, the reason I'm telling you the story is that she never paid her bill. We sued her and she didn't quite go out of business. But, you know, I put her in, I, I, I behaved like a dick because I was purely, I was purely focusing on me and what I wanted. So she never bought for me again. And in, in the worst case scenario, if she had, if there'd been social media at that point, which there wasn't, there's a long time ago, you know, I'd have been found out because that would have been straight onto social media. So I don't think you can, I don't think you can behave like that long-term if you're in sales and marketing, whether you're self-employed or whether you're working for a company. I think you, you've got to focus on, on being yourself. And if it's not enough, then you're, you're going to have to find, find something else to do probably. Okay, good. All right, cool. That's really interesting. And I think you're right. I think, I think you're right. I think what you were saying about um, speakers being too smooth, I don't think people enjoy that. I think for me, speakers, when they're pitching too hard or it's too obvious that it's a pitch, I don't think people enjoy that. So I think you're I right. I think if you stand up in front of a group of people and you are a dick, then they know you're a dick almost immediately. I'm interested in LinkedIn because... You can't hear me. No. Hello, hello, hello. Hi there, I'm back. You're back. I think, okay, I think good. You me, wasn't it? I've got no idea. I mean, I was just off to look at my router, but um, you well it doesn't. I was still. I I I didn't. My side. I was. I still was like. You know, my camera was still working, and then I just lost you. So I don't know what happened. Okay. All right. So let's make hate while the sun shines. Okay, well we'll cut yeah, this. Quiet. Okay. So, you, so what you I was talking about. You were saying. You were saying. Um, yeah, you were saying, okay, so yeah, I think that's probably true. And you were talking about, yeah, if you pitch too hard or whatever, yeah? Yeah, so people don't enjoy that. And I think if you stand up in front of a group of people and you are a dick, you get found out like really quickly, like they know immediately that you're a dick. So, and what what was the other thing? I'm interested in this LinkedIn thing because you're right. I did have a video ranking for a long time. It's had a lot of hundreds of thousands of views about how to use LinkedIn yep. as a marketing tool. I've got a course still um, that that talks about that, but I've not been, I mean, I've not been marketing anything for six years. I've literally come back to this in the last six months. And I'm kind of astounded at the way LinkedIn has gone because, I mean, for me, the posting was never the most exciting thing about LinkedIn. But if I look at what people are posting, you call them engagement posts. So you're talking about like your wedding or scoring 100 in cricket or, or doing whatever that was. It seems to be all of that. And I haven't tested it, so I don't know. What I'm interested in is if you call those engagement posts, when you sit down to write them, are you thinking, I'm going to share something, some vulnerability now, some authentic, or if people are sitting down to do that, saying I'm going to share something really authentic, then is it at that point authentic? Authentic, and does it actually 
work? Is there a business benefit? Have you seen a business benefit to posting in that fashion? That's what I'm interested well, to know. Uh, okay, so what the honest answer is, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't position myself as a LinkedIn marketeer or an expert, but I focused on it a lot since March 2020 or April 2020, since the pandemic properly hit in the UK at least. Um, and what what I knew was that I had some level of control. So I decided to, to share a lot of stuff. So a lot of the stuff that I do in terms of working with others and what I picked up over the years in relation to presenting, selling and influencing, I basically shared content. So, you know, I went, I went from, I've now, I went from two and a half thousand contacts, contacts to 5,000 contacts. I get regularly, you know, three to 6,000 views of my posts, my, the ones that do well. Um, and, you know, anything from 30 to hundred comments, typically, I think I've got about 250 comments or something when I got married. Um, and uh, someone told me, I can't remember who it was, Martin, but focus on 80, 20, you know, the old, um, the old adage. So 80% credible, 80% here's what I do. Here's some sharing of stuff that I think you'll find interesting. So that's typically videos, articles, that sort of stuff. And 20% here's some stuff I think you might be interested in. And what I try and do is link the link, the post to something that they still might find interesting. So for example, uh, I did so a recent post, like was it three weeks ago? My mother was, I went to her 80th birthday party. Of course, my dad asked me to deliver a a speech, which I did. I did the A to Z of her life and S was for sister. And I got her brother to stand up and talk about um, my my mum, Sue. And it was a really emotional thing. John completely lost it. It was in tears. Everyone else was in tears. So I, I delivered, so my post was about, what's the place of emotion in 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 presenting you know how important okay you know so i linked i linked something personal to something that is i thought would be interesting to my to my uh, followers who are a whole band of different people i've sort of accumulated over the years and it and it worked you know so i've got lots of good content your second your sort of supplementary question it hasn't got any direct impact on business i've won three coaches in the last nine months, these are pretty big hitting. For example, a new practice head at a top 20 law firm in the UK who's, who signed a six-month contract to work with me. Three coaches who I've never met, who have I built a relationship with on LinkedIn. We then went to sort of direct mailing, spoke obviously, uh, and, and they hired me. But that was because of my LinkedIn content. Right. Okay, good. So that works. So yeah. you can start to see me being very post, uh, personal and vulnerable on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, okay, so this is nice. This leads us beautifully then into kind of how you win your clients, who your clients are, and how you deliver value for your clients. Hmm. Well, so my clients, I've got, I, I really only work with big corporates and professional service firms. I do a very small amount of work with SMEs, but it's about 5%. And the reason between you and me why I do that is because they pay more. It's, it's as simple as that. They're, they're, they're more likely to pay and it's, you know, they've got budget. 
So those are my clients. So the typical client, the, the, I've got a sort of a pretty much, an, uh, you know, you, you're, you're a marketer, you understand what an avatar is. My perfect avatar really right now is someone in a professional service firm who is in transition into a more senior role. And that role requires them to communicate and present in a different way than they have done before. So that's my sort of perfect avatar. And I picked up probably four of those sort of typical clients in the last, I don't know, six months or so. Um, I only need about, I need 12 coaching clients to make the coaching element of my business work well. So I need 12 at one step at one time. So that's who my clients are. C-suite leaders and managers who have to communicate either internally or externally via pitching nowadays, virtual town halls, change management stuff, training, anything like that. Anything where there's a, what I call a high stakes presentation, where there's a lot riding on a presentation. So I worked with someone recently on their first virtual town hall to actually to both associates and then partners. And she had just become a leader of a big practice group worth 130 million. She was pretty young and she had to get that right because whether you like it or not, her team, she had about 100, about sort of 60 partners coming on the first one. And I think there were 120 associates on the second one. Now, they're going to judge her whether she likes it or not. And part of the way you get judged as a leader is how you communicate effectively. So that was a good definition of a high stakes presentation. So that was those are my clients. What was your second? What was your follow up question? How you win those clients? Yeah. So how I win them is a combination of LinkedIn personal referrals and recommendations, building a really strong network and a bit of, a, a little bit of Google ads, although I don't do very much of that. And I've, I've done that through, I've done that for, I did, I put together a something called Design and Deliver, which is like 18 videos on virtual presenting that I created in September last year. And I use Google ads for that. And I've got a couple of clients as a direct result from that. But it's mainly, to be honest, Martin, because I've been in the business, I've been in training and coaching for 20, what it is, 23 years now. And I've got a, a wide network and I keep in touch with the network effectively. And so, and of course, you know, if you get into a big business and you do well with someone and they like you, then you've got a chance of getting into the into lots of strands of businesses. So my biggest yes. my biggest client is Baker McKenzie, which is a which is the the larger the, the largest global law firm and you can imagine you know with um a business that's worth almost three billion uh, us and whatever it is 104 offices there are plenty of opportunities so so the classic thing there is that you, you know i would go and deliver a a presentation at a conference which i get paid to do so they get me give me paid work and then I get contacted by lots of people and I reach out to people who are in that audience and I get further work as a result of delivering that at that conference, whether it's virtual or, or a face-to-face. -face. So, you know, I've got one in Salt Lake city booked in end of October this year. And, um, you know, so I'll get paid to do that and all the consultancy and stuff required to deliver a three day partner conference. And then I'll get more work for people hiring me on the back of delivering a conference for them. Yes. Okay, good. Um, so then the last part of this part is how do you deliver value for them? And always when it's about presentations. So I've got a bit of a thing um, th that my thing is that if 
you want to be successful in business, you have to be successful in your sales and marketing. But nobody wants to do it. Um, no, really, nobody wants to do it. They really don't want to do it. And but the thing with presentations is, really, nobody wants to do it. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to, unless they're like you and I, and they are performers. Then nobody really wants to do it. So I'm imagining that's where it starts: is that they don't actually want to be presenting. So, it, so well, the big question is, how do you deliver value for your customers? And the thing I'm interested in is, like, and, and the other thing I'm interested in, so I'm going to make this a big thing so you can talk a lot. Um, but the other thing I'm interested in is, is there actual data about people who are good at presenting doing better in their careers than people who aren't? Because I've heard that, but I haven't seen actually any evidence of that. I've heard that. I talk about it, but I haven't got any evidence that I can point you to, towards straight away. But I think, I think you're right. So, so I think okay. This, this is a this is quite a big question, isn't it? And uh, how do you deliver value? Um, you partly deliver value in terms of the benefits that working with a senior individual, which is I'm I'm doing most of the time. So, like head of sustainability at a couple of businesses, CEO of um, uh, a company called Univar, which is a big chemical distribution company, you know, managing partners, chairman. Uh, these are the sorts of people I'm talking, talking, uh, so I'm working with. It's, it's partly value in the sense that if they didn't believe there was value working for you, then, then they would, they would sack you. But the, the, so it's partly personal benefits and I'll, 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 I'll talk about a couple of things, personal benefits. So, Typically, you know, it, you would be amazed by the number of people who get to very high positions in business who still have imposter syndrome. In other words, they don't believe they're really competent enough to do their role uh, or who have real fears around presenting. So it's a residual thing. You know, all the surveys and this is evidence based, you know, in either the States or the UK, the fear of presenting is either the first or the second greatest fear behind snakes and death sometimes. But it's a big, big fear. And so if you can help rid someone of their fear of presenting so that they are in a they are they feel good about themselves when they present, then that has a ricochet effect on the rest of their professional lives because they've got confidence. And if you think about it, if you're presenting and you're worried or anxious about yourself or how you're coming across, your focus is on you, isn't it? Whereas Absolutely. if you are personally self-confident and you you're in, the, in a, what I call a resourceful state, you know, confident, calm, um, open, whatever it is, whatever state you want to be in, then you're focusing on the audience and not you. So often, and it's probably the same with you when you've done training stuff, because I know you've, you've been a trainer as well uh, and a communicator in your business. If you're, if you're in a resourceful state, I sometimes, if I'm delivering a 90-minute webinar, which I do every week pretty much to various different organisations, I'm not focused on anything in my head at all, apart from the content and the audience when I'm delivering. Because if you're feeling resourceful, you're focusing on them because every presentation needs to be audience centric. So, so it's, it's additional confidence in that person. And that has a ricochet effect, I think. So if you're feeling better about yourself, what I mean by a ricochet effect is it has an impact on the rest of your professional life. If you're good at presenting, you maybe start getting better at one-to-one -one meetings, one, uh, better at performance management. And other things. Um, I think if you get better at presenting, if you're a leader, 
It improves your authenticity, which we've already touched on and sorted out. And so you've got real personal benefits, but there's also benefits to the business. So if you get good at presenting, you're more likely to win work. So I'm working with professional service firm partners often. So they are having to deal with clients and, and win work. So they have to be rainmakers. They have to manage people, lead, as well as all doing all the technical stuff. So you're right. They don't want to be necessarily great at presenting, but they know that they have to do that in order to win business. So part of value is winning more pitches. And, and so, for example, I work with a, a really fantastic law firm uh, called Dinsmore in the States last year. And the head of BD contacted me, who, who had known before, because she worked from another, in another law firm. And she said, can you work with this group? Uh, they're pitching for with uh, some work for Microsoft. And I work with each of the individuals who, who were having to be part of the team. From memory, there were six or seven people. And then I did, and I worked on their scripting and then their rehearsing and their first piece of work, which they won, they won the mandate to work with Microsoft was worth 1.3 million. Well, am I going to be hard again for that in that business? Yes, because so I then end, ended up delivering a, a session to their partner retreat. You know, so I had all their partners in front of me, you know, virtually, obviously. Why? Because I helped them win a big piece of new work. So part of value is, you know, from business perspective is, can you help them win work? And you can do that if you're focusing on the pitching element of presenting. Um, and then the, the other thing is just, you know, from a firm perspective is you get better engagement. You know, if, you, if you've got presenters who are, who are more effective, law firms, architectural firms, surveying firms, accountancy firms do a lot of client webinars or client seminars. And if their presenters are crap, then they're, they're going to, you know, they're not going to come across effectively and their clients are less likely to use them in the future. Whereas if, if their presenters on those client seminars are, out, are exceptional, that, that rubs off in terms of what their clients think about them. So they'll have prospects and clients in the audience. So they'll retain their existing clients, that's value, and they'll and I'll help them win new clients because whether you like it or not, people, uh, people match the presenter with the content. You know, so if you've got a, a perfect scenario is great content, great presenter, bang, you're going to you're going to get hired. You're going to get clients rehiring you and so forth. So that's quite a long answer. But there are some real that there are there. You've got to focus in terms of value on impact on individual to make them feel more both competent and confident and then impact on the business in a practical way which is why I tend to focus on high stakes presentations, presentations that really matter. Uh, and then you're going to get, you know, you're going to get the, if they get great feedback or win work, they're going to recommend you. So I'm just working with a, an architectural firm called PRP. I'm working with one of their practice heads and the head of HR, the head of L&D has now, now contacted me because they want to run a training for another six to 12 of their, their staff because of the work I've done with the practice head who's then recommended me internally. Great answer. Long answer. And what long you're answer. saying is long answer, but what I've always <laughs> no, but I asked you like five this questions. Is a long form, okay. This is a long form thing. So you're okay with a long answer. Hopefully, Martin. <laughs> I'm okay with long answers. I'm really okay with long answers, but what you're saying about the fear of presenting, which is what I'm really, uh, what I was kind of driving at, not like, 
people don't want to be great presenters. Of course, they want to be great presenters, but they don't want to present in the first place. Um, and what I've always told people and what I've always felt is that if you are nervous before you stand up in front of a group of people, you've got it completely wrong. It actually doesn't have anything to do with you. It's everything to do with the audience. And if you're exactly. focused on the, on the audience, then you can't be nervous, you know, and it's not even about the content. It's, it's always about the audience. So that's nice to hear that confirmed from you. I've got a completely um, inappropriately titled presentation on, um, on presenting skills. It's completely inappropriately titled. It's present like a mother is, is what I say. And that's kind of what you have to do, I think, is you have to own it. You have to be in charge. You have to be leading the pack because if you're not, someone else is going to take control and then you're dead. Yes. Yes, so, you're right. But it starts yeah. with you. So it, you're, you're right, you've got to focus on the audience and it's all about the audience, but it starts with you because if you're not in a resourceful state, and you're fearful or anxious or worried or consumed by nerves, you're not focused on the audience. So it's got to start with you. It's got to, you've got to take responsibility and be accountable for the fact that a margin doesn't jump into your body before you're about to present. You, you have got to find ways, and that is the stuff I share with people and teach them about how to get into a resourceful state. Good. Okay, so I'm interested in this because I don't know if you've ever seen me present. I love presenting. I yeah, absolutely I remember. you're a good presenter. Yeah. Thank you very much. That means a lot coming from you. I was just about to tell you that I'm a good presenter, but I don't <laughs> think I am. But, <laughs> but I don't think I am in the sense of like no law firm's going to employ me to present. It, it would go horrible. Um, but I've always enjoyed it. And I, so this is the question is how much of this is natural because I've never I've never attended a presenting course. No one's ever spent a second telling me how to present. I just got the opportunity to do it a bit, stole some things from other people, came up with some things of my own, and it and it's always worked. You know, I've never, I bombed once, I think, in Chichester uh, breakfast meeting. There were 60 people there, and I think they decided they didn't want to see me before I even stood up. But anyway, I didn't even bomb. It was no, you know, it took them a long time to get warmed up. So how much of this is natural and how much of this can be taught and the challenging question, because I really like to challenge people, is if you're teaching people, is it then authentic? Yeah, that last point, yes, you can still be authentic even though you've been you've been taught something. Um, okay. But I take your I take your basic point. For example, Gordon Brown was famously taught how to present uh, communicate more effectively, and he he came came across as inauthentic. You know. Yeah. So it's it's. You know, so that there is always that issue around authenticity. I, I take your point about that. I think you're raising a really interesting uh, question. And what, what you said, what, what you said as part of your preamble there is critical. You said, and I quote you on this, I've always enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed presenting. Now, that's where I want to get people to when I'm working with them, that, that, that they end up enjoying it. Because if you enjoy something, Surprise, surprise, it's going to go better, isn't it? You know, you can't, if you if you play tennis or golf or do any other pursuit or whatever, you're not enjoying it, you're not going to continue doing it for very long. You know, pretty obvious, isn't it? So that's where you've got to get to. Now, let's have a think about this. You know, let's say someone, someone comes, you know, my perfect scenario, my perfect avatar, someone is, has, been, has been promoted, they're now in a position of additional responsibility, managing, leading people, 
they're there often because of their technical expertise, subject matter expertise. They might be good at leading people. They aren't necessarily great presenters. And as I said, some people may may position themselves initially as I don't enjoy it. I wish I wouldn't. I wish I didn't have to do it. A lot of professionals are like that, partly in some professional organizations because there's a high preponderance of introverts. So you've got like a you've got a um, whereas you and I probably would describe I suspect you would describe yourself as an extrovert. I describe myself as an extrovert. Uh, Myers-Briggs terminology. I'm an E. You, you know, you'd probably be an E. A lots, lots and lots of uh, professional service firm partners that I are introverts. But as a coach, I have to work with certain presuppositions. And that's those are guiding principles that allow me to do my job effectively. And one of them is that um, presenters, exceptional presenters are made, not born. Because if I believed otherwise, I couldn't be a coach, could I, Martin, if you think about it? So there is if there is a certain there are a certain number of people who, for a variety of different reasons, enjoy presenting and are good at it. For, for the one of the reasons I was was because. I acted in plays from the age of nine to 21 every single year. So I was used to standing up on stage and performing. So there's no question that that helped me rid myself of any residual fears I may have had uh, about, about presenting. So that there's definitely, that's definitely contributed to my, to, to, to me um, being able to present well. However, I strongly believe it's all learnable. So the reason I set up this business actually was because you think about all the things you can teach someone who's a manager or leader, you know, time management skills, uh, coaching skills, leadership skills, um, delegation, whatever it is. I firmly believe that business presenting is both the most important thing and the one where you can get biggest changes quickly. So I've worked with numerous people who have change the way they present because they have they've got rid of their fear element and also are you know have changed the way they present in terms of their content or their structure and all that sort of stuff um so i i firmly i'm firmly in the camp of whilst you may be able to present well because you're because of your teaching background and because of your present uh, your performing background of some kind or you want to be in the life in the limelight, excuse me, or you're naturally an extrovert. It's not just about that. I've seen tons of really good introverts present brilliantly. So I don't believe that's, that's the case. So it's a combination of getting into the right state, a resourceful state, having superb content and then communicating it in the right way. And you can do, you can learn all those things. I strongly believe that. And of course, I've worked with lots of people who've got better and better and better. So I've got evidence anecdotally that that is the case. Um, and if you look at, if you look at, or even if you look at some great, superb uh, presenters and communicators, let's take an Obama, Obama or something. He's a, he's a brilliant communicator. I think most people would agree with that. If you look at his trajectory from being the presidential candidate for the Democrats through to the end of his two, two term presidency, he definitely improved. I mean, some of his presentations towards the end were absolutely outstanding, although his initial um, inauguration ceremony was great as well so he but he definitely improved and he's he's he was brilliant anyway but he improved um and i've got numerous examples of that and, and the beauty of what i do is especially virtually nowadays and online stuff is 
that leaders can send me stuff which I can then review. So I can say to them, you know, if you sent me something, I'd say, Martin, okay, here are the things I think you're doing really well, and here are some things to work on. I did it just yesterday with a with a where someone sent me a link to a virtual town hall they delivered, and I went through it, picked out the things I think work really effectively and the things they could improve on, and the smaller things. We, you know, she then she then said, okay, great, thanks for sharing, and it's it's the critical final element before I come back to you is is the individual who who is wanting to get better at presenting are they really up for it are they really motivated or engaged so you could have put your hand up you could someone could put their hand up and go yeah i'm yeah you can i'll have i'll hire you or my company wants me to get better and i've had a few of those i've had at least in the last three years i've had at least four people who i worked with who weren't up for it they couldn't give a shit really they didn't they weren't really up for getting better they didn't buy into the fact that, that their business had said you need to get better at this or they didn't buy into the fact the why of presenting is really a really important part of leadership and communication. So the final element of it is, is that person highly motivated to want to improve? If they are, then that combination of, you know, of mot high motivation and a skill that can be picked up and learned, you know, gradually means that you can get pretty huge improvements within six months okay good and i'm with you and i think i think um like people who are naturally good at it i think it's okay for you to be a presenting coach and there be born presenters because there are always going to be people who are much better technically at what they do who need to present without so i don't think that's a moral question i'm interested in your you'll call it a resourceful state yes um, there's a isn't there? You know the book. Is it uh, Mahali Chechen Mahali? I've never known how to pronounce his name. I don't know um, how it, but he talks about the flow state. The flow state. And for me, yeah. when I'm presenting, that is absolutely more than anything I've ever done in my life. My A1 state. That is when I am performing yep. the best. I'm most yep. awake. I'm most tuned in. I'm most engaged. I'm most happy. Um, so that's interesting. You call that a resourceful state. Um, yeah, so the idea of a resourceful state comes from NLP, neurolinguistic programming. Okay. So it's about, you know, so a state, is, a state is a combination of our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, how we're feeling in our body, whatever. That's, that's a state. And in order to present well, you've got to be in a resourceful state. So take the flip side of it. If you're anxious, nervous, fearful, worried, that's an unresourceful state, isn't it? Because yes. that's going to impact directly in a negative way on the way you present. Whereas if you're confident, calm, um, focused on the audience, whatever, you're, that's a very different state. Yes. And so that's where you've got to, you've got to, uh, and, and some people could do that quite naturally and easily. So if you know, everyone can get into the flow state. Children are in the flow state often. Um, you're right. I'm exactly the same as you. If I'm delivering a webinar, which I do pretty much weekly, I go into that flow state. So the people who are around me, people who are helping me with Mentimeter, which is a bit of interactive engagement software that we typically use, they'll kind of go, oh, you know, that was great. Why don't you? That's brilliant. And uh, God, I can't believe you mentioned that. And I go, did I mention it? Because I'm in such a flow state, I don't even quite know what is going to come out of my mouth when I'm talking, <laughs> um, even though, even if it's really properly rehearsed well, because I might just suddenly flip into another story or, or just dependent on what, what I think is appropriate in, in the moment. Um, and 
So you can get into, you know, one of my, a good mate of mine, a chap called Neil Malarkey. I don't know if you remember him. He, he was he was the, 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 the guy who, who, who with uh, Mike Myers started the comedy store in Leicester Square. He was in partnership with Mike Myers, who's his best friend. And um, he's an improv expert, improvisation expert. And state for them is even more critical. You know, um, whose line is it anyway? You know, all, all those people? Yes, yes, yes. So, so improv, which he still does, he does it every Wednesday and Sunday when, it, when he's allowed to in, in Leicester Square. And, um, you know, improv, you've got to be in a really resourceful state because if you're thinking, oh, my God, I hope the audience don't give me this as the cue or don't set up that or, or in a worried state, there's no way you can just be in the moment and make up a scene from scratch um, based on the quick information that the audience give you. So you, it's, quite, it's quite possible to get into a resourceful state. So I, I work with people on how to do that. Okay, good. You don't have to tell us how. I can quite, I'll quite happily, I'll quite happily tell you how. If you're, if that, if, it is, if you think that's of interest, I can give you some ideas. I think it's of interest. Don't people yeah, okay. pay you hundreds of pounds an hour to tell them this stuff? Yes, I think see, anyone, I'm quite happy to share. That I'm on the basis I'm with you here, Martin. I'm happy to share content here, so, so that, that's fine. Perfect. So a number of different things you can do. Uh, people get into a flow state do this naturally or and there's a variety of different things i'm going to give you just a couple of ideas here and tell me when, it, when you've had enough the basis of a resourceful state is breathing and if you are if you if, if if there was someone online now who was anxious or nervous i could pretty much guarantee their upper body breathing they're breathing from up here you can even see them going like this sometimes so you've got to get them diaphragmatically breathing breathing from a, ba a decent base and that's I think that's about 50% of it, actually. If, if I'm breathing now and I'm accessing my diaphragmatic breathing, in other words, breathing into my stomach area, um, you know, the muscle under my stomach, um, breathing, breathing into my diaphragm, it's very difficult for me to be fearful, nervous, stressed. Yeah? So you think anyone who's in a stressful state, that upper body breathing. So the first thing is make sure people are, 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 are breathing properly. So I teach people breathing patterns like the Hawaiian breathing pattern, which is in for seven through the mouth, hold for seven, out for seven, giving a, you know, a roar with it. That's so breathing is one. A simple other thing is to look up. So uh, I get people to look up if right if they're right-handed, look up left if they're left-handed. This is all about eye accessing cues as NLP. If you look up, and you could test this, anyone who's watching this as a video, the, 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 you can test this, if you have got a worry or a thought and you look down, you're accessing either internal thinking or you're going into your feeling state and you get even more worried, which is why you get stressed people or worried people or depressed people. They look down a lot. If you look upright, you're accessing the visual creative element of your brain and you're much less likely to feel fearful. So if you think about it, what a lot of people do when they're presenting or just in the last five or 10 minutes before they're presenting, they look down. So look, if I've got a script here, it's just a bit of paper, but if I'm looking down thinking, oh shit, what am I about to say? Oh my God, oh, I'm looking down. I'm going to get myself into a resourceful state. You've done your prep by then. So I get people just to look up into the corner of the room if they're right-handed, look up right, and just notice that they start feeling creative, imaginative, they're looking forward to the future, whatever. They're not, they're not, um, they're not fearful. Another little technique is, um, for people who, who genuinely say, I always get nervous. I'm, always, I'm a nervous presenter or I'm anxious or whatever. Anxiety and excitement are very close neighbors. 
So if someone is is nervous, I get them to go, uh, you know, so they say, oh, God, I always get nervous. I go, okay, what I want you to do is the te- in the 10 minutes before you're about to present, I want you to say, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited. And they move, because because it's so close, they end up feeling excited. And they're actually telling their, you know, their, 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 um, their brain to feel excited rather than nervous because it's so close together. So actually excitement is, is, is like nerves. So that's another thing you can do. Um, Amy Cuddy. Have you come across Amy Cuddy, Martin? No. Okay. Amy Cuddy and power poses. So if you look up on, uh, uh, if you look up on um, TED Talks, Amy Cuddy yes, TED yes. Talks, it's the most popular, I think it's the second most popular TED Talk after Ken Robinson. And she talks about, she's a Harvard professor of, of, um, uh, of le- uh, leadership professor and she's interested in uh, she's a social anthropologist and she's interested in the leadership qualities in both animals and humans and what she noticed was that we know that if you start thinking anxiously that will create feelings of anxiety but what she suggests was if you get into a resort if you get into a strong body position so she's got like five different positions which it's difficult for me to illustrate precisely but anyone wanting to find out more just go on to amy cuddy ted talks there are five power poses that she gets into uh, and if you get if you hold that she's done some some primary research if you hold that for two minutes you are likely to um decrease testosterone decrease um increase testosterone uh, and decrease cortisol in the body and so you're going to get into a much more resourceful state so look those are four four ways there are plenty of others in which you could just teach people and that's what people pay me to do partly to help them have a a sequence so if they've got like half an hour before their presentation they know what to do to ensure that when the lights go on when they step on the stage if they're doing a keynote or the someone presses record or the webinar starts they start in a highly resourceful state an up state high energy bang they go from the start and that's really important because so many presenters start really badly and lose the audience in the first five minutes. And yes. it's often because they're in, a, they're in an unresourceful state, they're not feeling good about themselves, and they're trying to sort of get the audience to go, oh, please like me, please like me. Um, whereas the audience are thinking, fuck you, just get on with the bloody content. I want to find out what, what you've got to say. They're not interested in yes. your state. They're interested in, is this person going to help me, whatever, whatever the subject matter is, sales, marketing, you know, some sort of internal change program, you know, a change in project, whatever it is. They're not interested in you. They're interested in the content. Exactly. Okay. And this is what I've always thought. And so if I don't have to, I've, I've actually stolen that without even knowing it. I had a pre used to, have to deliver a presentation called I'm in the mood for selling, which was all about getting people with their arms stretched and their heads up in the air and then hitting them with the Nolans yeah. if I could get them dancing. Um, so I stole that without knowing it. So if I've never had to do any of this stuff, if I've never felt anxious or worried or concerned, if I've never rehearsed, then I'm just lucky, am I? Is but you can you teach people all this stuff? Well, no, you're not because because remember your basic what what's underpinning you is I what you said. I've always enjoyed presenting. Yes. So that is your working principle. That's your mindset with this. And that's, yes. that's going to, so that, if you enjoy something, you know, it's like, if I enjoy playing tennis, I'm going to go and play tennis more. I'm going to like to get better. You know, if I enjoy 
setting up setting up YouTube videos. I'd like you to do more of them. You know, yes. if I do more interviews, I'm probably going to get better at interviewing if I enjoy doing it. So that is your basic presupposition. So you're lucky because your basic building block is in place. Most people I speak, no, not most, that's not that's unfair. A lot of people I speak to don't enjoy presenting. So they wish it was something they didn't have to do, as you rightly pointed out earlier on. But if they get better at it and they improve their competence and they get better feedback and and their audience reaction is more favorable, they're going to start enjoying it more. And I've got plenty of people who've come back to me three months, six months, a year later, having started working with them, going, you're right, I now enjoy presenting. Yes. And of course, I and, and of course, I then say to them something like a supplementary question, which, so how is presenting for you now? It's easy. You know, yes. it's straightforward. I've got no issues yeah. about it. I just, I know how to do it. So the question is just then about structural. So how do you build a presentation? How do you create messages? which is totally different. But you've got past that basic interference, which is, I feel shit about presenting. I'm not, or a classic one is, I'm not a good presenter. You know, I've got lots of skills, but I just can't present. I'm not a natural presenter. All this sort of bollocks. And it is bollocks because it's just a made up version of what you think is true about yourself. But the problem is that you then walk around believing it is true. And, and that impacts on your ability to be able to deliver an effective presentation. I mean, you know, for, I mean, I'll give you a simple example against me here. I have a pretty strong belief that I'm not very good at DIY, partly because my dad was pretty ferocious with me when I was growing up, and he was good, pretty good at DIY. I couldn't believe I wasn't any good. My brother was really good. Actually, my son, Ben, is a brilliant DIY guy. I'm not very good at DIY. Do you think I do lots of DIY around the house? No. <laughs> I get someone else to do it. I have to pay other people, or indeed my wife is paying me at DIY. Because I'm walking around with a belief I'm not very good at it. And actually, I, I do sort of, I, I'm not as bad as I was as I was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but I still don't believe I'm very good. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go to IKEA and buy a bed that I have to put up myself because <laughs> I'm I'm walking around with the belief I'm not very good at it. I might go and buy it at IKEA, uh, but I'll get someone else to put it up. Or well, my my son Ben, who's now sixteen, but when he when we moved when he moved into this the, flat, the house that we're in right now, he said, "Dad, I want a new bed." I said, "Fine. Where do you want it from?" IKEA. We went to IKEA, which I didn't enjoy for various different reasons. But anyway, we bought the IKEA, and he put it up. It took him about three and a half hours. He was brilliant at it because he puts everything out nice and neatly. And his and I said to him, "You know, how could, how?" Do you, I looked at him in total amazement. But how do you do that? I went, "It's fun, Dad. I enjoyed it." So no, I'm surprise, also surprise. terrible at DIY. Well, there we go. So you're not going to be putting up lots of IKEA beds, you know, and and but if you can you can you see the the, the the obvious and basic link there. If you don't think you're good at something or you don't enjoy it or whatever, you're not going to get better at it. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure I've had a relationship once that ended because I confessed that I wasn't able to plumb a washing machine. It went from because <laughs> I made up my scrambled eggs, which are amazing, and then it went from that to. Oh, you can't plumb a washing machine. Okay, good. Um, I just want to come back to the point you made earlier, which was about whether we are extroverts or introverts. The one time this was tested, I was at an event, and there were about 40 people there. And it was, it was like a presentation. It was an accelerated learning thing, like a really quick learning thing. And basically, we had to go around the room at one point and then say to each other, 
bump into each other and say to each other if we thought they were extrovert or introvert. And interestingly, the room was almost 50-50 split between people who'd seen me present and people who hadn't. And nobody who had seen me, everyone who saw me present said I was an extrovert and everyone who hadn't said I was an introvert. So I quite like that, you know, either I'm leading the room or I'm not, definitely not, because I was that asshole kid at school that disrupted all the lessons and stuff. And I learned that lesson long and hard. Okay, good. I feel like we should talk about content, but I don't know. Are you running a clock? Have you got any idea how long we've gone? No, I'm not. Just hang on one second, Martin. I've got to go and rescue my wife. Just hang on one second. Okay. My wife has just been locked out of the house for an hour. <laughs> I just oh. noticed her going like this. For <laughs> an hour? Back of the window. Yeah, apparently she claims that she just forgot to pick up the keys and locked the back door. Okay. Anyway. Well, we definitely uh, start, on, started an hour and a half ago, but I think we probably chatted for 15 minutes before. So yeah. I'm interested because I think the other way that I am lucky in this is that I really, I'm quite good at understanding things and translating them into ways that other people understand them. So I don't know how I got to be good at this, but and I only think that I'm good at this because I've done it, I don't know, thousands of times now where I've stood up in front of groups of people and said, if you thought about it like this, then you'd do better at it. And I'm quite, I'm quite a conspiracy fan. You know, I do enjoy a conspiracy. And I kind of share my knowledge in a conspiratorial sort of a way. So I'm a lecturer with the Digital Marketing Institute. And essentially, the theme of my teaching then is this is how these corporations, Facebook, Google, Twitter, whatever, this is how they're going to try and rob you of your money. And this is how you're going to keep it and be more successful, more effective, which they really enjoy. And they really have come to understand. Um, how important is content? And how do you come up with content? And can you do this in like five minutes? Or do we need to schedule a part two where we do this at some point in the future? Well, well, I, I, we can continue and you can edit some of it out, can you? Surely. Um, we can do potentially part two. Not editing point. anything, Jeremy. Nothing gets edited. Everything goes in. Okay. Even Fair the enough. bit where you rescued your wife. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, co content is important. So, you, you, you know, what, what's critical in a presentation is the presenter's state and how the presenter behaves. And, and then the content is, is equally important because you could have an outstanding presenter. But if the content is really poor, you're not going to get traction, are you? And you're not going to get continuity or not going to get people to buy. So you've got to get a combination of the two, you know, heart and mind, uh, etc. So content is really important. And in presenting terms, what I tend to teach and suggest is less is more. So I'm a strong believer that less is more and that most present, a lot of presentations, if you think about it, either virtually or in person, what often can happen in the presentation is that people get either bored, confused, or suffer from cognitive overload. Boredom, confusion, or cognitive overload. It happens all the time. And 
The boredom and confusion, the boredom bit is about the presenter making sure that the audience is in a curious state because there's two states, the audience state and the, and the, and the audience state, and you're trying to get them to be curious. So I teach people about things like a spike, which we can talk about a bit more in, in a minute. But one of the big issues in terms of content is cognitive overload. In other words, in a short period of time, so 20 minute presentation, an hour, whatever it is you've got, a big mistake is to try and pack too much content into a presentation. Um, and the reason it's important, is the reason that's so critical is the seven plus or minus two rule. So you may or may not have come across this, but there's a chap called Wilson who wrote a paper in 1956 called the seven plus or minus two rule. And what he postulated in that paper was that in a short period of time, any presentations are short, isn't it? 20 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour max, probably. Most people cannot take in more than five to nine key points. So if you want to be memorable, you've got five to nine key points. And if you think about any presentation you've seen recently, Martin, I could suspect if it was over a week old, you can't remember more than two or three percent of whatever you, you, you've watched. So what people do is they pack the pack content in rather than focusing on who's in the audience, what do they want, what's important to them, what content's going to be useful in this situation, and then what I do is I, I reduce it down so it's just key messages. And what I say to my to my coaches and people on training courses is if you can utilize the power of three even better. So you'll have sure come across the power of three. You know, most people remember things in three. It's the number, it's the magic number, um, you know, location, location, location. Um, it's, it's the NHS, it's, um, you know, uh, most sales, a lot of sales and marketing, uh, you're worth it, um, I'm loving it, all these sorts of things are constructed in threes because it's the, it's the most memorable way of capturing information. So if you can stand up and say, look, whatever the subject matter is, there are three core areas I'm going to focus on. You can then go into side, side alleys on those, on those three core areas. The audience will love you and it's much more likely to be uh, memorable. So, for example, I created, uh, I've written a book called the CQ Model of Influencing, and it's about three elements of, of influencing, confidence, credibility, and connection, three Cs. And people remember it because it's easy. And, uh, and I, I, can, I can talk about that for an hour. And all, what I want them to remember is the three, the three Cs, confidence, credibility, connection, and then some elements linked to that. So you're short, the short answer to that question is less is more, reduce your content, and focus on the key stuff that you want to be able to communicate to the audience. The audience have always got a chance to ask you for additional information if they want it. Yes. Okay, good. And I think, you know, bullet points, everyone hates bullet points. And I think oh, too strong a pitch, unless it is a pitch presentation, like I've properly got in a mood when I've realized that a presentation it is just a pitch. They want me to buy something. Um, Okay, cool. I think we've done our time today, so I'm not concerned about, I mean, I think if you're happy to come back and talk to us more about content in the future, that would be really cool. I'm kind of also interested in the NLP element and how you weave that in and how effective that might be. So if you are interested to come back in the future, I'd be really interested to have that conversation. Like um, there might be a part two, Martin. There might be a part two. There's a there's a number of part twos coming down the track actually already. So it seems like an hour and 15 minutes isn't long enough for everyone to get everything out that they're good at. 
Um, there's a whole other question that we haven't got to yet, which is kind of recommendations for the current situation. Um, would we, do we do that in part two or do we do that now? How, how long does it take you to answer that question? What's the question? The question is the current situation, the pandemic, the lockdowns, all of this stuff, the pressures that businesses are under, you know, how do people go? What's your, what's your recommendation for how people conduct themselves, how they engage? Like if that's just presentations, that's fine. Like clearly the whole um, medium of presentations has changed. If that's how they conduct their business, then that's also fine. I'm interested to know what you think. Well, you've, you know, my, my view of that is fairly straightforward. I think we are globally, especially in certain types of professions as well, entering into a completely new orbit and we're entering into what, some, what most people have described as a hybrid working existence. So part office, part home. And so my view is that if you're a business professional or in, you're in sales, or if you're working for a large corporate, an SME, a medium-sized business, if you have interactions with clients, with decision makers, and your part of your role is influencing, and let's face it, most roles are about influencing, you've got to get really good at both virtual presenting and virtual influencing and in-person influencing and presenting. And so that includes both selling and presenting or pitching because it's going to be both from now on. So look, I've just said I've got this uh, gig in October in Salt Lake City, but most of my, that's the only in-person gig I've got this year. It'll happen more next year, no doubt. But I'm working on the presupposition that I'll be working virtually and in-person and the decision makers will decide, who give me work, will decide whether it's more appropriate to do it virtually or in-person. And I think that applies to lots of situations. So my view of things is we're not going to go back to the way it was before as in business conducted face-to-face -face exclusively. Uh, it's gonna be a lot around, you know, getting the balance between virtual and in-person and you've got to get really good at both. So that's my simple answer to that. And, you know, in terms of what I can offer around that, I've got, I've created this thing called Design and Deliver, which is a, which is a, uh, an 18 video program that can help you maneuver and upskill around all aspects of virtual presenting so 18 three to five minute videos with lots of research, learning resources behind it so you can find out uh, more about that at jeremycastlecoaching.com of course you can hire me uh, or you can come along i do sorts of public trainings as well for various different organizations where there's no cost where i'm just putting myself out there from time to time I do about one of one of those every quarter so a variety of different ways of of, of working with me whenever anyone sees this, whether it's in 2021 or much later than that, um, I'll probably be still doing the same thing for the next five or six years, I suspect, before I, uh, before I hang up my presenting boots. So in answer to your question, I think it's about getting really good at, uh, at this new world, this new hybrid world, and just accepting that that is going to be the future for a lot of people. Not everyone, of course, but a lot of people in business. You've got to get really good at selling, influencing, presenting in a new hybrid world. Good. And you slipped that little pitch in beautifully like a, like a speaking professional. 
<laughs> felt I had to, Martin. <laughs> Jeremy, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this. I knew I would. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it also. Um, yeah, I think I think there is probably a part two in this. I think if you think there is, I mean, I'm interested in the NLP thing. I'm interested in the, we haven't really covered the online thing and I'm interested in the content thing. So maybe in two or three months time, you'll be happy sure. to come back and do this again. Uh, of course I, I think, I think this has been hugely interesting for me and I hope it's going to be really interesting Lovely. and useful for the people who, who pick this up. Thank you so much for your time, man. Thanks a lot for inviting me a lot along to talk marketing. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Martin. Thank you very much. Cheers, Jeremy. Bye. Cheers.